2: the gates and ready to go hot Mike with head row underway on the monday edition post super bowl edition and it happened again the kansas city chiefs are world champions glad you're with us outkick.com slash watch is where you can find us timmy b tim brando joins us in an hour chad we are back from las vegas where well the inevitable happened the kansas city chiefs played in the super bowl and they won the super bowl
1: Hutton, it's uh, good to be back in Nashville. Good to be back around all of our uh, production crew here. Did an outstanding job last week, both here and in Vegas. And when you said it happened again, I thought you were going to make a joke about Tony Romo stepping all over Jim Nance in a big moment like he did in the final call last night. We'll get to that later. Uh, But what matters first is the biggest thing, and that is the Chiefs once again proving they cannot be killed even when they look dead this season. And we previewed it all week, Hutton, that it was going to be – a huge challenge to beat Patrick Mahomes in this moment. The only one who was able to do it was Tom Brady and the the Tampa Bay Bucks a few years back. And once again, it was Patrick Mahomes back up against the wall. And what does he do? He goes eight for eight on the final drive to go down and score a touchdown. Picks up two first downs with his legs also. And it is uh, another Super Bowl ring, a third for Patrick Mahomes.
2: And back-to-back back for the Chiefs who have done this for the first time since we watched the Patriots do it. And now you go, go ahead and look to next season, they have the chance to be for the first time the only franchise to three-peat. And in a, an era of a passing league, points, and much more, well, it's dominated by one team that didn't throw the football all that well this year, Kansas City. This was the year that the rest of the NFL was supposed to get Kansas City. I bought into that. I, I, I picked Kansas City to play in the Super Bowl against San Francisco. I wasn't buying it halfway through the year. This was not the uh, usual Kansas City Chiefs offense. In fact, it was the reverse. Normally, the defense kind of catches up with, with, with the offense towards the playoff run, and they start to make some plays. Uh, not this year. They led, they led this organization forward. Won some games, yes. Was it pretty? No. No. Mahomes frustrated. Kelsey went through a huge slump. They were losing on Christmas Day to the Raiders. In fact, there were moments last night in the first half it was reminiscent of that type of game. Frustration. Offense is stumbling out of the gate. They're not possessing the ball all that much. And, you know, while there were some some naysayers for, for Mahomes in the first half, I didn't hear from very many in the second half chat on social media because here is Chiefs wide receivers who are dropping passes. They lead the league in that. You have Mahomes who, throw, who threw more interceptions than he had ever in a season. And they lost more regular season games than at any time uh, with the, well, the quarterback with, with Mahomes. They didn't have a home field advantage in the postseason. This was the year. And I kept saying this not only could be the year, it is. And it, it, it wasn't. And it's because of greatness. Greatness is defined by what Patrick Mahomes showed us last night, clutch. Because regardless of whoever is on the field, and San Francisco is loaded with talent, loaded with talent. There's still one player we all expect to make the play in the moment, and it's Patrick Mahomes. We expect him to drive the field and score when it's time to go score. We expect him to go win the game, and not just a game, but the game. And he continues to do that no matter what San Francisco had, no matter the time of possession, no matter the superstar status on offense or defense, and the fact that, well, they had a 10-point lead, KC had Patrick Mahomes. And Chad, he is well on his way to being that GOAT status quarterback. Because right now, in the same breath of Tom Brady, you're mentioning Patrick Mahomes. You're not mentioning another quarterback currently. Or past. It's those two for this era that we are all a part of. And we're witnessing it in person, just how great this greatness is. And he wins yet another one.
1: Yeah, it's, it's truly remarkable at this point in his career, what we're witnessing. And, and we are all witnesses. I'm not talking about LeBron James now, I'm talking about Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> we are all witnesses to this. I, I had a buddy of mine from California, Raul, shout out Raul, who asked me, big 49ers fan. And he said, honest opinion here, do you think if the 49ers had a different quarterback that they would have been able to win this game? And my response was, this was not a Brock Purdy problem. I thought he was good in this game. I I don't know anyone that would have beaten Patrick Mahomes in that situation. When you pair Pat Mahomes with an elite defense like this year's Kansas City Chiefs defense, it's going to win a Super Bowl. And that's the way it played out. Even in a year where offensive football across the league was down, And more so in Kansas City than in recent years, than than many places. They were bad this year for a big chunk of that season. But it didn't matter because their defense was better, much improved from years past. It's an elite defense. And you knew at some point that if Mahomes and Kelsey got on the same page and found a way to beat great defenses, they were going to find a way to win in the biggest moments. And that's exactly what happened. It happened against Buffalo. On the road, it happened in Baltimore, and it happened in Vegas, in Sin City, against the 49ers and their great defense. Patrick Mahomes is an elite player, maybe the best ever when he's done, that finds ways to win. Did it on that final drive, did it in points throughout that game, another incredible performance.
2: And they celebrate over you know another incredible performance. And, and how good was it? Well, in this game, he had a season high in rushing yards, pass attempts, and completions. He had the second most passing yards of any game that he's played in the 2023-24 season. And it's a huge credit to how Kansas City adapted to what San Francisco was doing. Because KC scored, Their, their final three possessions were 12 plays, 11 plays, 13 plays. And they were able to close things out. Meanwhile, on the flip side of things, Chad San Francisco started extremely well. The finish, well, not so much.
1: Well, and just you know, these these little moments that are also big, right? I'm, I'm going to put aside the moody. It was a missed extra point. He kicked it right into the line yep. on that one. That that everyone's talking about. That was a pivotal play. We all we all know about. But the ability to close out the game clockwise, the end of regulation, you know, the third and four, they have the right pressure and the play may have been open, but Purdy doesn't have enough time. They heat it up quickly, incomplete. Chiefs get the ball back. That's the field goal. Go down and tie it. Um, driving late, chance to score the touchdown. Once again, the right pressure in Purdy's face, even though Jawan Jennings wins the route, was going to be open for a touchdown, doesn't have enough time to hit it. Chiefs defense came up with two of those huge plays. I thought the 49ers defense at times came up with some huge plays also. They couldn't when it mattered most. Let me rephrase that again and say it one more time for, so everybody can hear it loud and clear. Could not when it mattered most. That is Kyle Shanahan. That is his career right now. The dude can coach ball. He is an amazing NFL head coach. I wouldn't trade him for anyone but Andy Reid, the guy who won that game. I really wouldn't. I think he's that good. But fair or foul, this guy's career right now, if it's a one-word byline that's out there, if there's just one word to describe him, and I don't even know if this is a word, but I'll make it up, it's unclutch. That's who Kyle Shanahan is. He's really good but not great because great coaches find ways to put away the, the, the uh, New England Patriots when you're up 28-3. to They find a way that when it goes to overtime to get it done there. They find a way when you're up 10 in the fourth quarter, even with Jimmy Garoppolo as your quarterback, to win that game. They find a way up 10 a second time with a different quarterback in Brock Purdy who I believe is much better than Jimmy Garoppolo ever was or ever will be. You find a way to win those games somehow, some way. This isn't on him solely, but when you look at 0 3 and that you are a coach associated with the only two overtime losses in Super Bowl history, that is a troubling trend. And while I think Kyle Shanahan is great, and there's not one decision that I solely put this loss on him, and there's plenty of personnel decisions and coaching decisions that got the 49ers to these two Super Bowls, fair or foul. The verdict is out on him right now. The narrative is he's a guy who can't win the big game until he wins the big game. That's how people will remember him.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not just the two Super Bowls it, as a head coach. Keep in mind, he was also the offensive coordinator of 28-3. to
1: That's what I said, yeah. I mean, you and, find a way to put that away. And you, he's 0-2 in the only two overtimes in Super Bowl history But then, as a part of it. But
2: then you pair in the fact that the trends of these, these games, while everything's different, like he's not fumbling the football uh, with a chance to go in and score early, th- those type things. Shanahan's offense is on third down in the Super Bowl. Uh, against the Chiefs, three for 12. Three for eight in the previous matchup against Kansas City. And in against the Patriots, with the Falcons, one for eight on third down. That's seven for 28 for a whopping 25% conversion rate on third down. They throw the football way too much. And it, he can't help himself. I, I will say... Uh, this is exactly the reaction that Dan Campbell's going to have if it happens again to him in the postseason, where he's going to go for it on fourth down, fourth down. Right now, he's got the benefit. Of the, oh, this is just Dan Campbell. This is just what he does. Shanahan continues to throw the football when they should have been running the football to begin the second half on that first possession. Uh, they're throwing it. They're giving it right back to Kansas City in the, in the big opportune moments. That's, he can't help it. He was doing that 28-3, to and he's doing it now. That's who he is. And it's caught up to him on the perception of what happens in the biggest moments.
1: Yeah, and a few things that he's getting heat for right now. Uh, well, two that I'll give him credit for. The throwback with Jawan Jennings was a nice wrinkle and one that completely shocked the Chiefs, which is tough to do with, with Spags and that defense this year. They, they, they looked completely stunned when that play was happening. And then Christian McCaffrey sprinting to the end zone at the end of it. Uh, the Going for it on fourth down and getting Kittle the ball there. Getting Kittle the ball there, two catches, two catches for George Kittle. That was shocking to me that you get your best players. He's the best tight end in the game. Didn't he get hurt Or one in of the best, game? too. You got to get him the ball somehow, some way. So I, I, I put that on Shanahan. A shoulder injury, I think. The, um, oh, no, he left the game and came back at one point, went to the locker <clears> room with a shoulder injury, wasn't moving it late, and then still came back and played. Um, the decision to take the ball in overtime, I know he's going to get criticized for that because it didn't work out. I don't. I don't have as big of a problem because the way he explained it. But I'm kind of going back to Dan Campbell on this, too. Like, I get it because it's just what Dan Campbell does, but I would never do that. I'll say the same here. I don't care what analytics says in that moment. I want to put my defense on the field first and know what I have to do offensively. I want to know if I'm going for it on fourth down. I want to know if they got a field goal or a touchdown or didn't score. I, I want to have that knowledge on possession two in that situation and not possession three, right? His explanation was analytics guy says better to go ahead and score. And then if they go down and match, then we have the chance to win the game in sudden death on possession three. I, I don't, I, I get what he's saying, but I, it's not how I would have played it. Well, it, I, to me, it's a
2: situational thing. Well, If your offense is just rolling and you know the defense for the, the opponent's been on the field the entire fourth quarter.
1: Then maybe you take the ball.
2: Maybe you take it because you, you feel like you're going to score. You're certainly doing that in the, the regular season overtime rules. Um, but, I mean, you're, you, with the opportunity to know if you're getting three or you get a touchdown to win, you want that information, especially in this game where it's just been back and forth. And, I mean, the momentum really – I'm expecting Kansas City to go get points. You want to hold them to three. You want to open with knowing what you have to go get in that situation. Um, and so they're not going to rotate possessions in the second possession. Like, so it wouldn't be Kansas City last and then Kansas City first.
1: Yeah, well, no, it, it, they would have then, you're playing the game. So there's going to be another possession. <clears throat> he's saying once they tie it. So he's, here's, once, here's how he explained it. We're going to go down and score a touchdown. Right. They didn't. But we're going to go down and score a touchdown. If the Chiefs are able to get it on fourth down and go down and score a touchdown and match, then they would kick back off in the game, sudden death at that point. So his thing is, analytics. our analytics department tells us, we want to have the third possession. Confident in scoring, going to score, they can match, then we get the ball for sudden death, then a field goal wins it at that point. That that was his line of thinking going into that whole sequence. But it is the knowledge that you must go for it on fourth down. The Chiefs may have done it anyways, but fourth and a yard or less than. They get Mahomes on the the option where he keeps it himself and gets it easily. But they know they're having to go for it there, right? Because they're down three, and they got to get at least in field goal range to tie it up at that point. That's the benefit you have on offense if you get the ball second.
2: Well, but the one benefit that you don't have if you take it first is uh, the one thing that's not taken into account is you can go for two in the win. Right. If If you're down seven, you score a touchdown, you don't have to give San Francisco the ball back. You can go for two in the win. Or the loss. Sure. Um, and that's sure. you don't have the chance to, to have another possession if you're Kyle Shanahan. By the way, uh, Andy Reid said that they had already told the officials that they were going to kick if they won the toss. So that could go either way. We would have kicked the ball. The officials actually were on top of it right away. Still a couple of seconds on the clock in the fourth, and we had the extra officials on the sideline asking me what we wanted to do, and I said, we'll kick off. Patrick was on the field, and he was the one that had to do it, meaning make the call. Um, but he said his, his analytics guy is the one that made that call. Mike Frazier, his analytics chief, does all the work on that. It gives you the opportunity to see what you've got to do. That's what Andy Reid said. To me, it's a no-brainer. Well, uh, un- Unless unless the 49ers' defense had been on the field, like the Chiefs' defense was on the field the entire first quarter.
1: Yeah, now, they were on the field on the last drive, you know, but that was, what, a minute 40, a little over two minutes they were on the field yeah. for that, that field goal drive. So, But he, he didn't bring anything up about that. He... he Squarely said, At my analytics team. We've talked about it, and this is our decision. Didn't roll them under the bus. It no. said in talking with them, we wanted the third possession because the third possession would have been sudden death. But I mean, yes, does not account for the other team going for two in the win. Does obviously doesn't account for you not scoring a touchdown and just getting three, and then them scoring, knowing they they can that it's seven wins it, which is exactly what happened in this game. And I think you got to factor in the quarterback on the other side of the field. In this, I mean, just knowing Mahomes is unlike, if you give him a sliver, he's going to take that opportunity. And if you don't put seven on the board, that's all he needs. That's all he needs in that moment. And he took advantage. You
2: also have the, you know, the the moments throughout this game, like the the final possession, they end up trying to tie it there uh, and do on the, on the kick. But I thought they were going to go score at the end of the game there.
1: And have get it to walk the nine. Right, it yeah. was down to nine or yes. ten.
2: Yeah, and of the, you missed opportunities on both sides throughout. By the way, this is a great game. We got. I mean, you, you have the back and forth. five different
1: what lead changes or ties in the second half. Fantastic. Yeah, it, it was good. Um, I would have liked to have had a little bit more offense in early, but I think we got the offense. Just had a couple big turnovers yeah, you down have, in the, uh, yeah. the, the in plus territory for both. Right with the McCaffrey fumble, and then Isaiah Pacheco on on his fumble. So you had some offense, and then drives ended with that. Um, I I hate – two things I hate about a game that's that good in that moment. One is the extra point missed, blocked, however you want to phrase it, that was low and blocked. I hate that moment. And I hate the dude not hearing the Peter call and and getting hit on the ankle, on the Achilles, and that leading to a turnover that completely – Shifted things. I mean, the 49ers defense was dominating the football game at that point. They really were. Nick Bosa was doing whatever the hell he wanted in that game. He was living in the Chiefs' backfield. And that one moment led to one play. And Valdez Scantling is in the end zone by, by Mahomes. And suddenly, yes, the 49ers answered, went down, and scored seven. But I, I hate when things like that happen, when a game's being played that well. The other one that we got to talk about that – really blew my mind, was Dre Greenlaw tearing his Achilles running onto the field. Now, the start of that game, that dude was so amped up, I thought he was going to get a 15-yard penalty on every tackle. He bumped an official one time on accident, but he was getting up to celebrate a play. He bumped two Chiefs players on the first drive after a tackle. He was a missile to start that game, and he was amped up trying to take the field on defense and blew his Achilles tendon. And that is arguably the best defensive player, the best linebacker for the 49ers, Certainly this year, um, that was huge in this game, and I hated to see that one.
2: Yeah, and they the defense was still dominant. I mean, they held KC to nineteen. You know, in, in that moment, um, and one of their best players are out. the uh, The backup for him is a former Vanderbilt safety, Orin Burks. Yes, yes, yeah. and you could tell like the the there was some some shock from the players as he was taking the field and he realized he was done. Uh, it, it's also crazy to me. Most of these Achilles issues happen in this non-contact type situation. Um, yeah. Random,
1: random. Yeah, and I it just, it, it's looks injuries happen, but dude sprinting onto the field tears his Achilles. is not something you want to see in a game of this magnitude for either team. So that was a bummer to watch. And, I'm not saying Trey Greenlaw, you know, wins the game for them, but I'd like to see him in instead of the former Vandy player, Orrin Burks, in, in those moments. I want to see the starters in the game to see if he can make a play that affects the game where maybe the Chiefs don't go down and score that touchdown to win it in the end. And I, don't, I think Burks did really well in his stead. He wasn't a huge negative factor for the 49ers. You just hate to see it.
2: And shout out to Steve Spagnolo, who's not going to get much mentioned today. Um, defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. In their four playoff victories, the Chiefs held the Dolphins, Bills, Ravens, and 49ers to a total of 63 points. That's how you win games when your offense isn't doing very much.
1: 63 combined points in these games. He only had the one opportunity at head coach, right, with the Giants? Rams. Oh, he was with the Rams, too. Mm -hmm. So, too. Okay. Because I was thinking, watching his defense this year, I'm like, why is this guy not getting more love for getting another chance as a head coach? But... I think having the two opportunities probably cements it. Yeah, and he's the first coordinator,
2: defensive coordinator, to win uh, four Super Bowls with two teams. He was with the Giants and the Chiefs for these. For these uh, best Super Bowl winners, now as updated with Patrick Mahomes, you've got Brady with seven, seven Super Bowl wins, five MVPs. Joe Montana with four and three MVPs. Patrick Mahomes with three and three. His one loss, by the way, in the four Super Bowls he appeared in was to Tom Brady and the Bucks. Jerry Rice has three Super Bowl wins, one Super Bowl MVP. Terry Bradshaw with four Super Bowl rings, two MVPs. And Charles Haley, five titles combined with San Francisco and with Dallas. And then there's Mahomes. He's, going, he's on the board right now with Brady or Montana, or he's on the board with uh, Brady and who was the other one under the, under the age of 30 that continues? There he is, Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman. Before turning 30. Um,
1: Spagnolo, by the way, just interim head coach of the Giants. I, I remember him being DC with the Giants. I thought he was also elevated to head coach at one point. So still just the one opportunity uh, for Spagnolo as St. Louis Rams head coach from 09 to 2011. Um, you see a guy like that that, his performance with the Chiefs, and I do wonder why he doesn't get some, some opportunities to be a head coach again with only that one shot. But his defense was great. I, it's just so dangerous to put that level of defense with Patrick Mahomes. I, I go back to Peyton Manning's first Super Bowl. They only won when their defense became elite uh, in that year, right, back in 06 with that defense. It's, it, Patrick Mahomes could win with mediocre defenses when he's at the top of his game. But in a season where he wasn't at the top of his game, he got there by the end of the year, and the defense was consistent throughout. The defense was great. You're right, Hutton. Spagnolo deserves a ton of credit for what he's done with that defense. And
2: here's why you want the quarterback. Uh, since 2019, the Chiefs are five and one when they trail by 10 or more points in the playoffs. Five and one. The rest of the league combined is six and 48. So it's it's you know Kyle Shanahan running into Kansas City is what happens. He's up by 10 in any other playoff game. Dude's going to win that game. You're facing KC. They're coming back to win. We witnessed that first time in the AFC Championship game, Chad.
1: Yeah. It's amazing to me that um, it's not one way or one type of emotion that gets it done for Mahomes and the Chiefs. There are times where you watch them and think, they're remarkably calm right now. Down 10 points or things not going their way. You watch them on the sideline. They are flatlining over there. They're focused. They're not out of the game. That they're not losing it. Then there are other times where you know Travis Kelsey is knocking his head coach over, nearly to the ground, uh, throwing a temper tantrum on the sideline, and then that comes back and works out for them, and did not affect Travis Kelsey's game at all either. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. They they find the right emotional play to make, whether it be calming everyone down or going nuts and losing their mind, and it seems to work out for them in the end. Yeah. So uh, let's
2: uh, Kelsey. So. I said earlier to start that there were moments in the game for Kansas City where it felt like that Oakland, or the the Las Vegas Raiders game uh, on Christmas, where they, Raiders had no business winning that game, they beat the Chiefs, and you're that's around the same. That's around the time I think Clay declared them dead, right?
1: It was on Christmas Day that tweet happened. It was it was and, that was his death declaration?
2: And uh, I don't blame him. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this team going that this is just not the, your your playoff version, and that you're way too close to the postseason to get that going. Kelsey was in the middle of a slump, all this. Andy Reid had a, uh, an interview with Bill Cower, I believe, uh, pregame for CBS's coverage. And one of the things he mentioned was in Kelsey's progression and why he's been able to develop the way he has is they had to rein in his emotion and his anger and his uh, temper. And it certainly shows out here. I can't help but think and watch this and go. If this is any other player, if this guy isn't with Taylor Swift, is CBS not all over this? Nance and Romo didn't do anything, but they kind of glossed over it. Um, and you've got your, you have one of the superstars going at your soon-to-be Pro Football Hall of Fame head coach. And it's so early in the game here. Now, he's pissed off because he's not in the game on a play where Noah gray is the tight end, the blocking tight end on the game, on a play where they fumble the football. And he's upset that he's not a part of it. Just put me in, always leave me in. That's fine. But this is, this was odd. This was more, I, I thought about ego than anything else. That was my initial impression of this brief bump into, uh, to Andy Reid, who uh, uh, the head coach addressed that issue uh, earlier. I wasn't watching the it. It was cheap shot. But that's all right. He <laughs> um, was probably kind of just, go, just put me in. I'll score. I'll score. You know. So that's really what it was. Well, I love that. One. I mean, it's not the first time.
1: So I, that's I appreciate it. Right here. Go ahead.
2: Well, I mean, not the first time. Whatever. Uh, lose the game, and that is the headline of what is what, what's going on here. And to do that in not just any stage, the Super Bowl stage. It's not, let's not get it twisted here. If that's just some average player or some practice squad-like version who got elevated to the roster because of an injury, that dude's not around. And, Chad, I just found it, I found it peculiar that it's early in the game, he's not in the game, and things aren't really going well for KC. They don't have the ball all that much, and he's got to get his. Got to hit that over for how many times they're going to pan uh, to Taylor up in the suite, which they hit the over, by the
1: way. Well, I'll take it a step further. I mean, if that was um, Antonio Brown, who's a great player, right, and had a a bit of a track record for some some semantics on the field at times. I mean, I I think the – let's highlight the broadcast first. Very strange how it was just, boy, he's fired up, and he's just saying he wants to be in the game. And I'm thinking uh, security should be escorting that guy away from the coach in that moment, or a teammate should be over there getting in his face saying, dude, chill out. Go, go sit on the bench for a second. I, I thought they and, really soft-pedaled the whole thing. Yeah, and
2: maybe maybe a teammate
1: did. We just didn't know because we weren't shown that. Well, he needs to apologize. Uh, I, I don't think he did post-game, but, I mean, Patrick no, he, Mahomes yeah. looked like a lunatic after the Bills game when his guy was lined up offsides. He went after every official. He didn't shake Josh Allen's hand. He was screaming at him because he was still mad about the call. And you know what Patrick Mahomes did the next day? He said, I, I got to be better. There are a lot of kids that watch me. And that's not what I want to put out there. And, and they went on and won a Super Bowl. All's well that ends well because they won the game and won a Super Bowl. But, I mean, I don't think it's out of line to expect an apology from a guy that accosted a, a an old future Hall of Fame head coaching legend on the sideline. Why? Because he would have been able to cover up Isaiah Pacheco and hold on to the ball for him on that play? There's nothing that Noah Gray did on that play that caused a fumble. It was an odd overreaction in that moment, almost as him to say, you use the word ego, Hutton. It was like him saying, God punished us for taking me out of the game, and that made Isaiah Pacheco fumble the ball and give it to them. Because he's not affecting that fumble one way or the other. It wasn't a miss block by Noah Gray that led to anything. It was after a decent little game, the ball is stripped out. So is he arguing, I will cover up my running back, hold on to him and the ball and secure it and make sure he doesn't fumble because I'm the great and almighty Travis Kelsey. It was a weird moment. He does, he owes Andy Reid an apology. I think he should probably apologize in front of a camera and a microphone at some point too. And then everyone can let bygones be bygones and it'll be fine because Andy Reid handles it the way we just saw him handle it, where he diffuses it and said he's not mad about it. It's, it's not a big deal, but I, I didn't like it. Well, Kelsey, I, that I'm aware i said was, uh, I was just telling him how much I love him
2: post-game. That's what he, yeah. that's what he was referring to. Well, again, like, I think this is
1: just a guy who wants the limelight and the spotlight. Well, he's got it. He's got it. If you want the limelight and the spotlight, well, you but, start dating a billionaire well, pop star But, but and you get Because it. he
2: has it, I think that's why they didn't cover this storyline throughout. That is a massive point of the game right there. Was it 10 nothing at this point? Or was it three and about to be 10? It's very uh, it early. Was th-
1: yeah, it was, I think it was three, about to be 10 at that point.
2: Yeah, don't you dare talk bad about the Swifty uh, boyfriend, you know? Uh, Again, I, I, I just, I look at it, you, you, but the AFC Championship game, you got Romo going down and hugging Taylor, right? I don't think they, I think that was a deliberate, we're not going to cover this very much. Let's move on.
1: I, I don't understand how, okay. If that's the case, like they're going into a game, like you said, and they're having a meeting or they're no. talking about it, and saying, We're not going to cover no, I anything Kelsey related, no, no,
2: no, no, I'm not saying negative. I mean, you have to let the game play out. But there are so many different storylines. You can move on from that moment pretty quickly instead of focusing on that. And that's exactly what they did. I think it was just in the moment. That's I, what they I, did.
1: I think that, first off, good production work by CBS to capture that moment and to slow mo it and to show it multiple times. I think the broadcasters did a very poor job of explaining what was going on and discussing what is a huge moment in a game. To my recollection, I cannot recall a time in a Super Bowl where a future Hall of Fame player has physically gone after a coach like that. Whether he meant to knock him down when he approached him or whatever, it it happened in, in that manner. I can't think of a time, even when a player, has done that in that moment at a Super Bowl. And it was just, boy, hey, Travis Kelsey going to be Travis Kelsey. He's going to fight for his right to party. And he's going to get in there and fight for his right to be in the game. The Odd moment by Nance and and Romo there. Well, and then just the – you can't have
2: it both ways. You can't have uh, a situation where uh, a player is running onto the field and bumps into an official and everyone loses their mind where he just kind of side bump, side swipe. Remember this with the shoulder, just kind of the bump into the official that I guess called a, a penalty on him or something. Yeah. Uh, what two or three years ago, probably. Um, and everyone loses their mind over this. Uh, but in this case it's, Oh, he's just, he's just fiery. He just has a, he has a temporary, they have to control and this is what makes him great. Um, you can't pick and choose what's, cool and what's not. And this was just, uh, to me, this was just, hey, I'm not getting the ball. I'm the superstar here. This is the Super Bowl. And yeah, I'm going to help you win. I don't disagree with that. But I, I think there's more to it than just, hey, uh, put me in and let me down block. I don't want to be on the bench ever in this game when our offense is on the field. And just yeah. because of the the spotlight that he has.
1: Yeah, and I think the coverage of it uh, by CBS was a little bit... Um up and down of the whole Taylor Swift part of this and, and Travis Kelsey. And I'll give you an example. I, I think probably the approach to go, I think, Hunt, you and I have always made this uh, more conversational and joking about Taylor Swift, and I don't really take any of it too seriously yeah. with the two of them. Uh, there's another group that's like, uh, this is the worst thing to happen to the pigskin in the game of football, and how dare they show this pop star with my football and I can't stand it. And then there's the other group that also pisses me off. That's uh, Nate Burleson, who I like for the most part mm-hmm. and works very hard. We've had on the show was a great guest on the show. He's in the post game, and it's like, boy, I tell you what, you know, if you ever want to see the sign of what a good woman can do to a man, just <laughs> look at look at Taylor's impact on Travis Kelsey. And they're slow motion showing their embrace and kiss after the game. And guys, look at this. If you've got a problem with this true love that we're witnessing, I mean, you've got issues, and this has just really benefited him and this Chiefs team. Oh, man. See, now we've gone the complete opposite end of it where Taylor Swift just won a Super Bowl for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's all great for the NFL because all of the exposure, it's getting them internationally with Taylor Swift being a part of this run.
2: Burleson sounds like someone that just got off the Nickelodeon broadcast.
1: Right. I I have so much more respect for Tony Romo. If he just says, just plain as day, you cannot do that ever as a player. And someone needs to tell Travis Kelsey that. Someone needs to have the balls to step up to him and say, don't do that again during a game to our coach ever. And, and he didn't. It just kind of brushed it aside and, and kept playing like nothing well, happened. And I thought it was a big moment.
2: I thought that the, just the, the storyline of, here's Kansas City who's been here and done that before with the same, that, like the, the two the two mainstays, Mahomes and Kelsey, and you've got Kelsey who's been, you went through that lull in the, in the regular season and then came back and he's had this post, and now he's acting like this on the sideline. And we're at, we're at what point in the game? You know? It was early. Yeah, I mean, that, that you know, that's you know, the storyline like, that progresses.
1: He looked like the Baltimore Ravens from two weeks before that looked like they just weren't ready for that spotlight. And they played like lunatics in that game. Zay Flowers, namely. Uh, that that's who he looked like in that moment. Looked like a guy that wasn't ready for the that moment in a spotlight, which is crazy Chiefs, considering where they've been.
2: Chiefs will remain in the spotlight. They're going for the three-peat now in 2024-25, Andy Reid says he will return as the head coach. He's not going to uh, to be retiring anytime soon, but it does confirm he's going to be back for 2024. Uh, that's bad news if you're one of the 31 other teams. Mahomes is still only 28 years old. Chiefs have their second Super Bowl after trading Tyreek Hill. They've... One, two. After trading the dude, and you've got Mahomes last night saying, "Oh, we're not done. The dynasty's here, but we're not done. I, there's no stopping this guy."
1: Well, and Kelsey immediately defense. said, "Hutton, hey, three. You know, we got a chance to do something no one's ever done. Right on the podium after number two, how great is it we get to now go win three in a row next year?"
2: The one, the one player I doubt they're having back is Chris Jones, who was he was going through the holdout and then had the one-year agreement to come back, and I mean, works out great for him. I think he's going to get a a boatload of money moving forward as he deserves. But the way he took over this game too, that impact defensively to have that dude, to have 95 on the defensive front. They have a young defense, very affordable defense, all things considered across the league, a very good one. But he's the best. And he's going to be paid like it this offseason. I doubt it's in KC if he's holding out this past offseason. And with all the money that they're going to have to allocate uh, to some restructures, and to, to bring in some other players to help him out at wide receiver, Mahomes. They're going to address his contract at some point this offseason, Mahomes. They'll restructure. They'll help out the cap. But I doubt that Chris Jones in a restructure, and extension, is going to do anything but break the bank for a team moving forward.
1: He's been terrific, a huge part of what they do. Chad, I
2: thought uh, the halftime show was terrific last night. Well done. Well done by Usher and and Apple Music, and uh, you've got Rock Nation now doing that
1: show. I thought it
2: was top to bottom fantastic. Really good. It it, it blew away last year's with Rihanna.
1: I, I thought so, too. I thought the first half of it was outstanding. I thought it tapered off a little bit as it went along. But the whole setup for it, the production was great. I, I liked how he started sitting yeah. and then went out on the field. Because I remember thinking, man, he's just out there singing and dancing on the field. You rarely see that because it's always an elaborate you know, stage setup. And then eventually he got to the elaborate stage setup. But all of the cameo appearances, Alicia Keys, Lil John, Ludacris, I thought were spot on in the right moment. I thought it was very good, very entertaining. Blew me away how a man can sweat that much yeah. and not be the least bit out of breath. You could not hear any breathless singing from Usher, it was perfect. I mean for a guy doing that much movement and that much sweating in that moment to never sound out of breath I thought was remarkable. Now he's in the middle of a residency in Vegas where he is doing that performance I'm sure four or five times a week, maybe more. So he's used to the cardio of it all clearly. That's why he took his shirt off because the guy obviously does a lot of cardio. But to not get out of breath in that performance with that amount of movement, I was I was blown away by that portion of it. Yeah, that uh, those
2: I don't know that, how you confirm this if you're not protecting the guy, but, I mean, I would take their word for it. Uh, the NFL and everyone else that was asked about says he, he did, was not lip-syncing. I don't, I don't think he was either. At any point.
1: Because you could hear him come through louder in certain parts where he would stop singing, and, then like, a background track would be behind him with background vocalists, whatever. Then he would come through again. You could tell pretty clearly that was live and not him lip-syncing.
2: But, I mean, much better than much better than Rihanna. And once he starts playing his hits, you realize, like, you've got – Every, you've got a couple of different generations there that can all, you know, that all recognize exactly the songs that he's, he's performed. His group is great.
1: The dude's been at it for um, 30 years. I think his first album came out when he was 15. He's 45. His second album was the big hit maker. That was 1997. So the guy's been at it for a while, making some hits, and you heard all of them last night.
2: We've got streaming services who've been out for a while, but Paramount Plus was, uh, was lagging a bit. Uh, last night, with the, the demand to stream this game, it it was out at one point. I, I, what, what was interesting is, it, depending on where you were, you had different error messages for the same issue. I found that weird. I don't know why, but you, you go on, you can see screenshots of what people are getting. It's a different version of font and everything, just how it came across. But then once it actually started playing, it started you know lagging a bit behind, skipping a bit. This is this is exactly what. The NFL and ESPN are partnering up to, to solve together. The NFL wants a huge media, uh, company to come in and fix whatever they want to do. And well, Chad, you've got all the other major streaming services. Let's just mention Amazon and Netflix and let's throw in Peacock. Peacock has been doing, but they handled 23 million. I think for their exclusive broadcast Paramount doesn't have their exclusive post post-season broadcast announced. But you can tell that's where they're headed. Uh, with the, the, We've now got Amazon Prime that's going to have, uh, they're moving forward. They're going to have an exclusive playoff game that was announced late, late last week. Uh, these are the things that can happen. I will say that I doubt you're going to have the, the, the number of people tuned in the way you did last night, uh, especially given the fact that I believe YouTube was connected to Paramount somehow last night because they were, they were offering some deal where you could watch the game on YouTube, and you also had any website that could just point directly to the streaming app for CBS and uh, Paramount Plus, they'll have to fix it. But thank God this wasn't like the exclusive only playoff game. Otherwise, this is a a huge huge pie in the face to the league.
1: Well, and it's uh, one of the reasons that Roger Goodell recently said it's not going to happen on my watch about um, having a Super Bowl that's pay-per-view or streaming only um, because this, this type of thing st- can still happen. I, I watched the game on cable and had no issues. So that, that was good. I'm glad it was on television.
2: Well, the Super Bowl will never be exclusive to online only.
1: Yeah, and that's what Roger Goodell is saying. But Roger Goodell is also putting playoff games exclusive to streaming. Yeah. But, I'm talking Super Bowl. Just,
2: but the Super Bowl, you, you want it to be on network because of the ads. If I'm an advertiser, I right. want it to be on the network.
1: Absolutely. But that's why I'm glad it's not moving to online only anytime soon. And Roger Goodell said as much.
2: Coming up, uh, Alphas and Betas Plus, uh, Chad will rank the top commercials from Super Bowl 58. Uh, alphas and Betas, I think you can guess who leads the category for the Alphas of the weekend. Betas, well, several different options for us. That's next on Hot Minds. Coming up with Rose, top. Super Bowl commercials. i by with that with row Roll rolls on across I will, the outkick network. I will orally tell you about yeah. the
1: commercial frame by frame yeah. because we cannot show any of them draw, I, for a reason. I have no idea I'll draw stick figures
2: on here. And for I'd you.
1: love to get an actual detailed explanation at some point I'll, about that. Let um, me know. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you know as soon as I know what I was posted yeah. on YouTube from our show last week. Then we'll discuss that too. Good. Chad, um, I can promise no Super Bowl commercials will appear in those videos. I will tell you that. <laughs> Even though those damn commercials were released early, which I now have a big problem with. You pay for the Super Bowl spot. I, you you've run the spot at the Super Bowl the first time. Then you push people to YouTube to go watch it again. No, it right? can't be seen there. Yeah I, yeah, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, How do they get away with that? All these places. I know. Uh, All these mon-pop <laughs> podcasts that... I'm watching top 15, 20 YouTube or or commercial breakdowns on YouTube, showing the full commercial the whole time. Mysteriously, still operational. Unbelievable how that works.
2: It really is. It really is.
1: It's something to be. We'll have to get a uh, social media expert on to explain sometime on the show. Chad, um, love to have that interview (laughs) live. We'll do it live, baby. You know what I was worried about last night? I was worried about nothing last night, but uh, my couch and how many wings. I, I can was worried take.
2: about Kelly in Vegas being right yet again. Oh yeah, she took 49ers money line. She did, and I, you know, I was all in on Kansas City, saying because originally I wanted to go San Fran. I mean, they were built to win a title, and going against Mahomes for the two previous games, uh, and 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 losing big against Buffalo and then Baltimore. There's no way I was going to bet against him. And both her and Ariel. And Clay. and Yes, everyone was on. And, and then I heard a stat that of the last, it's either the last 20 or 30 Super Bowls where Vegas has set the line, they have been wrong in, in terms of like the winner and the spread itself twice. Like they've, 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 really? They've gotten the, the, the game wrong twice. Um,
1: like the winner, like picking the team that's favored hasn't has yeah. lost only twice. Yes, yeah, like
2: within the and, and counting this point spread right. as well. Um, I so if you, if the underdog wins, they're winning within that spread or I don't know. Uh, I saw this and I'm thinking, oh, I'm I'm screwed on this Kansas City bet because everybody was in on KC and the line did the line close exactly where it opened at two and a half? I believe it did. Yeah. Which is rare, too, given the fact that I think everybody was on board with Kansas City. For I got the most K.C.
1: Part. Hutton on the money line. I can tell you exactly when. I got K.C. on the money line at plus two and a half about 14 minutes before kickoff.
2: Okay. Uh, so uh, it would have closed there. Yes.
1: That, that's where I got it on. And here's
2: the other peculiar thing. Now, it was two and a half. In game, It's it, it, was, it got as high as three and a half. San Francisco, minus three and a half. And at one point in the fourth quarter, this is right before... Uh, the field goal that sent it to overtime, it was it was going in Vegas's way both ways. Because you had either plus two and a half or minus three and a half if you bet it in-game. And Vegas had it at three. It was a three-point game at that point. It's crazy to me, man, how they get this.
1: Well, I, you and I were pretty adamant throughout the two weeks leading up to the game that we weren't going to bet against Mahomes and the Chiefs again. I was a little surprised the whole time that line didn't move uh, to closer to a pick 'em or maybe even Chiefs minus one. Yeah. But it it stayed strong with KC, and there's a lot of money coming in on KC throughout.
2: I want to kick off the alphas and betas just briefly. Uh, Just maybe this is honorable mention, but I think it deserves mention. Las Vegas. That is going to be, I think, in the rotation as much as. Arizona has been in the rotation. Arizona's had three Super Bowls since 2007. They had the helmet catch. They had the Malcolm Butler interception of Russell Wilson. And they had uh, Kansas City's victory last year. I think Las Vegas is going to take one of like the next three Super Bowls away from Arizona. And they're going to be more in the limelight. It was a lot like New York from this perspective, Chad. In 2014, I believe was the year. There were places you would go, and you, didn't, you had no idea that the Super Bowl was in town. You could do that in pockets in Vegas, too. And it's still crushed. Prices are what they are, but I thought it was a job well done and very hospitable top to bottom.
1: Alpha. Yeah, I, I, um, I agree. I, I think it blows Arizona out of the water. And I know that I'm blinded by the fact that you know, we're there working these events, but Arizona's almost intentionally far away from everything wherever you are, like everything is in a different pocket. The stadium's in one place. The media center is in downtown Phoenix in a completely different place. Most of your parties and everything happened in Scottsdale, which is a completely different place. And it's like this triangle of activity. Vegas, everything was right there on the strip. There are so many hotel rooms and all those gigantic resorts and casinos and hotels that everyone stayed somewhere on the strip and all of the activity, was within, what, yeah. a, a four or five-mile range of each other? Yes. For the entire Super Bowl the, week? I, I thought they crushed yeah, it. Yeah, they did. The, the league likes Arizona because, number
2: one, it's affordable for anybody that wants to go. It's spread out, so you can do that. Uh, and they also love all the facilities because it can accommodate literally anything they want, including practice facilities, where in this case— There was a problem. There was a problem, yeah. Uh,
1: tell me about— By the way, I finally saw UNLV, Hutton, on my way out of town. You did? Uh, my uh, Uber driver took a ride through, and not the, uh, the interstate, but wherever, I guess, south of, of the strip. Yeah. And I went right past the football stadium, the basketball arena, and the campus. And I thought, oh, there's UNLV. Not a great neighborhood. Not, not a great neighborhood leading up to it, I, I will say. Mahomes and the Chiefs
2: crushed it yet again. Alpha of the NFL. Uh, for some reason, Vegas has San Francisco as the favorite for next year's Super Bowl winner. I don't know how you just don't run it back with Mahomes. Uh, I mean, Vegas had San Fran-, San Fran as the favorite in this game, too. I run it back with Mahomes, three-peat, as the favorite.
1: I don't know how you bet against them with at the this defense. point. Yeah, and I'm I don't. I'm not Maybe certainly not in a hurry to bet on Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, even if they get to the Super Bowl to win one. So, yeah, why not Mahomes and the Chiefs again? Chiefs were second in the betting odds, yeah, yes. though, right, yep. behind yep. the Niners from yep. what I saw. It's... A lot of people are going to be playing the Chiefs and wishing that uh, Patrick Mahomes was Dre Greenlaw and would take the field and tear his Achilles tendon because that's how amazing the guy is. Um, and that's just facts about fans of other teams. And he's not going to do that. I, nope. just, I don't feel like that's going to happen to Patrick Mahomes. He has this ability. I don't know if you've seen the workouts he does too because everyone was making fun of his dad bod when he went shirtless after the AFC Championship game and he even joked about it, Patrick Mahomes did, where he's put on a little bit of weight. But in that quarterback series, they show all these different plyometric things that he does to work on elasticity in the body. And there was one example where he got corkscrewed on a sack against the Ravens and bent completely back. And I mean, hop back up like Gumby, like no issues at all. Uh, His body is now rubber, essentially, the way he's worked out his body, where he's going to be able to withstand a lot of different types of things like that, that maybe a lot of other quarterbacks couldn't. Um, he's durable, he's electric, and he is clutch in the biggest moments, and no doubt he's an alpha, and one of the alphas of the week.
2: Uh, The SEC just distributed $741 million across the conference in media revenue. Chad, this is a, a ton of money, and it goes to well, revenue sharing. The biggest voice for revenue sharing from coaches was Jim Harbaugh, and I hope we have another large voice of 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 prominence of of influence that starts to, to you know swing that big stick a bit because 741 million dollars but yet we see a bunch of back and forth on whether or not players should be paid through NIL and how they're going to do it these guys aren't poor the top the top it, conferences are not poor
1: it continues to go up and up which leads to the biggest question now that the SEC and Big 10 have formed <laughs> They're, uh, it's not an alliance. What are they calling it? Partnership. They formed a partnership. How long until some of these TV contracts start to run out that the two of those conferences get together and say, what if we pooled our resources and got every network involved and every tech giant and every streaming service and see how much money we can make? Because that money does not seem to be going down the way it is now. But could it eventually, if the partnership – doesn't fully come together and they collectively bargain television deals as a pair and then add whoever they want. That's the biggest question facing college sports moving forward. And we'll probably find out in the next two or three years.
2: Twenty twenty nine is projected the SEC will distribute to each team over hundred million dollars in twenty twenty nine. Chad, uh, beta of the weekend,
1: what Timu Timu, the only reason I've heard of this company before because my algorithm is off on Instagram, Good. and I am I am dished out clothing products from this company. It's an online retailer that sells things really cheap, mostly you know clothes, accessories, things like this. It's Chinese based, so it's like dollar store. Chinese based, yeah. It's like China. it's. I, I'm pretty sure um, Adam was saying in, here in studio that they stole his identity from that company. So I think that they can offer can low prices. Too. Because they take your credit card information and give them to other people. Okay. I think that's part of what China's up to with this company. But they, they bought like three or four Super Bowl ads, and they were all the same cheesy, animated, stupid spot with prices popping up and awful music and everything else. I, I would hum the tune for you, but I'm afraid YouTube would take us down, even though this won't get posted on Maybe YouTube, so I won't. Uh, but it was terrible. And they're betas because they like to take your credit card info and sell it, apparently. And because they ran four Super Bowl ads with that money, and each one was the same, and each one was equally terrible.
2: Uh, For me, uh, uh, betas of the weekend, uh, Nance and Romo in the pairing. Because they had a year to get this right. You know, this was – have we surpassed the year uh, marker, the 12-month marker, guys, where it was the – they brought in Romo for the the meeting – with CBS exec- well, They
1: flew to Dallas to meet with him. They went to his home and okay. had like an intervention with him with Sean McManus and yeah. the CBS brass. And I, I think it just I think some of his
2: issues and again I I don't know. I think he's consciously trying to do whatever they've told him to do. And I think it's really affected the overall product of the Nance Romo pairing. And I just looked at Nance. Nance gets what he wants from CBS and I don't I'm I don't think it's too long before he wants someone else in the booth with him. Hello, Greg Olson. The problem is, it's a guaranteed 100 plus million dollar deal that they gave Romo. It's just not good. It was, but it, I, th- I thought it was great at one point. They were really hitting a stride, and they worked at it. You know, to to get it right. Whenever Romo was starting out, and I mean, Nance is the best. I, I love listening to the games with him, uh, and and he's versatile. He's the voice of. Sports, really. Him and Joe Buck. I I just look at that pairing, and you can tell something's off to where you had this 12 months ago. You have the quote-unquote intervention, and 12 months later, you're trying to have the intervention because you know it's your Super Bowl year in Las Vegas, and you want that pairing. That's why you paid Roma what you paid him, because you had the Super Bowl coming up. And I think they have back-to-back, don't they? Or was it... If not, they have another one coming up very soon. That... Whatever this is, isn't good.
1: Yeah, they were weak on Kelsey. But but just uh,
2: they talk over each other a lot.
1: They were weak on Kelsey. I'll get to all the main points I jotted down on that. Weak on Kelsey. Um, They had a forced I love you, I love you at the end of the broadcast, which I thought was very much rehearsed to Mm -hmm. kind of show the world, hey, we actually really like each other. It's been a pleasure to do this with you, partner. I love you. I love you, too. You could kind of hear them bro-hugging in the booth. Um, he talked all over Nance's final call. He was explaining, yep. which I thought was good actually when he gave the quick explanation on fans at home are gonna freak out seeing that clock tick down, but they just keep playing into the next quarter. that's what I want with yeah. this rule that I was good that. and yeah. then get the hell out of the way and let the because they're snapping it with six on the clock and they throw the touchdown and Nance has the call ready Jackpot Chiefs win again, you know in Vegas and Romo's making noise over that. The entire time. What did time. he say?
2: He says something like, oh, Super Bowl or something. He says,
1: oh, Super Bowl. But then instead of just going silent and letting the reaction, the celebration, tell the story, he spends the next 90 seconds explaining the play that no one's showing in replay right. because they're all celebrating the miko Hardman touchdown at the end of the game. Um, and Hutton, all of those things happened, and that was one of their best broadcasts of the year. Have Other you- than that... It was pretty smooth for how bad they've been this year. That's a problem.
2: That is a problem for those two. Timmy B's with us right now. This is a great segue into Tim Brando, uh, who joins us. Uh, A longtime voice on CBS, now with Fox Sports, and just simply one of the best. He knows about good and bad. No doubt.
1: Partnerships and broadcasting with a broadcast partner.
2: Tim Brando, good to see you, man. Hope things are well.
0: Good, fellas. Great to be back with you again. It really much? is, and uh, hope you had a great Super Bowl Sunday, and now maybe we can start uh, paying attention to college basketball for, yes. oh, let's see, maybe two weeks, three weeks before
2: the yeah. <laughs>
0: before it's the selection time. Sunday gets here. Yeah, it is time.
2: Did you hear what we were saying there? How much did you get catch of our Nance Romo discussion?
0: I just caught the end of it. Um, and listen, uh, we all live in glass houses, you know, guys that sure, do what yeah. I do for a living. So I have much respect for Jim Nance. Uh, don't know Tony, uh, really. Um, I did think that he was, um, and this, again, just an observation from sure. 30,000 feet. And I understand that um, maybe what I say because of what I do uh, carries a great deal of uh, responsibility and, and hopefully some authenticity. So I'll deliver it as best I can. Full disclosure, I'm really close friends with Jim Nance. Think a lot of him. Uh, He was a very welcoming and warming uh, signature voice and face of CBS when I joined forces. And uh, when we got the NFL back at CBS back in 1998, his move to the NFL today created the opportunity for me with the college football today on that same set on Saturdays with uh, Lou Holtz and Craig James. And then a year later, Spencer and I were together and we've been, you know, joined at the hip for the last uh, quarter century since. So. you got to take some of what I say here with the understanding that I do have a really good relationship with Jim. I, I thought their first year together was dynamic. Um, and a lot of that was because of the enthusiasm that, that uh, Romo brought to the booth. I thought it reinvigorated Jim in a lot of respects. And I thought they just had a remarkable year. I thought, uh, like a lot of other people, and you saw the critics, a lot of the very same critics that are taking shots at them Ad nauseum now and have been for the last year, maybe two. Uh, were singing his praises uh, to the point where, when he got a when he got a new deal, uh, my old boss and now outgoing chairman of CBS Sports, uh, Sean McManus, greeted him with an eighteen million dollar deal, which changed the entire pay scale uh, for television analysts in in uh, in the National Football League. So. In a lot of ways, Tony Romo was to the uh, NFL analysts what Tiger Woods was to the PGA Tour professionals, okay? Yeah. Uh, but but uh, since that time, uh, the further away from uh, the game, and when Tony came in, remember, he was a current player. So he knew the teams, knew the coverages, knew the way the game was being played. So, so much of what he was bringing And it was a lot of pre snap predictions on plays and that kind of thing. It was refreshing to a lot of people, including me. Okay. But the further away from the business of playing the game you get, uh, the more homework you have to do on your own uh, as an analyst to stay up to speed uh, with today's coordinators, with today's players. Uh, You know, I don't presume to know how much of that he's done. I really don't. I know what the critics are saying. But I I do believe that after you've been in the business as long as he's been in the business, and that production team they have, Jim Rickoff, outstanding producer. I had him uh, with Al McGuire way back in 98 when we were doing the NCAAs and the regional finals together in that very same season, 1998. And Jim has been uh, running the show at the Masters since Lance Barrow uh, moved on. So he's he's an outstanding producer, Mike Arnold, their director. They, they had all the shots that you want to have, as you guys mentioned. I did catch a little bit of the end of your conversation. There is um, – when you've been in this business this long, you've got to know that when the touchdown is scored and the game has now been decided, it's the time for the director to take over. You lay out. You shut up. And that's even someone as talkative as me, okay? Um, the time that he was chatting it up prior to the snap, And I think um, Andrew Marchand wrote about this today in uh, The Athletic. Uh, You you just have to be done with your point and allow Jim to make the call and then lay out and let people enjoy the moment. And then after we've seen that moment play out and the, the fans and the cheering come to an end and all those wonderful shots that your director is getting, then you'll come in and have an opportunity to explain what happened on the play. Let it breathe just a little okay yes. and uh, uh someone in romo's position that's been in that position now for what is it 5 years 4 years something like that 5 years i think you got to know that you just have to understand it that's just um uh that's play by play 101 and 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 analysis 101 okay i a lot of times people at home don't get the difference the 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 you know i'm called an analyst a lot i'm really not i make observations and, and comments but I'm a play-by-play commentator. That's what I do. And when the time comes for the play to be called and for the people to uh, enjoy that moment, uh, that's Jim Nance's lane. Stay out of it. Let him do it. And then let the the crowd at home and the crowd uh, that's watching those gazillion people that we have enjoy that moment while the producer and director get all the shots that you need and uh, and then there'll be ample time. You've got a long post game show. You'll be ample time for you to explain uh, how this happened. Um, I, I think that uh, Romo's energy and enthusiasm has not gone away. But I think that uh, over time, uh, and with the different, you know, the reps that you get, you have to you have to have uh, great judgment. You should exercise great judgment. Uh, that's what ninety percent of the job really is, whether you're a play-by-play guy or an analyst. You've got to have good judgment on when to to implement the knowledge you have and impart it to the rest of the public, and when to allow the public to to uh, enjoy the moment like everyone else in that stadium.
2: Timmy B, Tim Brando with us. Just a quick follow-up on this, Tim, because I I don't want to come across as I'm taking up for Romo. I have in the past, and you're right. When he first started, he was excellent. Um, but I, I've admitted it's not. It just it doesn't click anymore. The, the the whole he's not studying thing, what he's not doing is telling us to play ahead of time, and I, th- I do I just get the vibe that they've tried to rein him in on that nine times out of ten he's going to call a chiefs game he's at the best game every week on CBS uh and in playoffs he's seen this offense he knows Mah- like he's calling plays left and right when he first starts. he's not doing that nearly as much, not even close to as much yeah. as he was i just i mean yeah. if, if you want Nance to be able to call the game. Romo can't do that, and that's what makes Romo feel like you're watching a fan or a, a kid play. You know, a guy play calling a kid sport. Yeah, you know, and the yeah. energy there too. I, I think the whole vibe behind the scenes has been to rein him in, and I think subconsciously he's thinking about that every time he's maybe. Speaks. Yeah, he
0: may be. You never know how the criticism is going to affect somebody. You know, you really don't. And they've gotten more than their fair share. And uh, in, in my view, especially Jim, because uh, he's, he's the veteran of that crew. And I think initially when the move was made away from Sims and to Romo, uh, I think one of the criticisms of Jim was he wasn't excited enough, you know, that he wasn't as enthused as he needed to be. And I I really thought Romo affected him positively that first year. I really did. Uh, and I told Jim that just as a friend, you know, and, um, I, I do think, that anytime uh, the critics are coming after you in a certain way, it does make you think, and maybe you don't act as instinctively as a broadcaster as you once did. We're, we're performers too, not unlike the athletes. We're performers too. And um, you can try to rise above it. uh, To some extent, you can try to exercise the John Wooden approach. Uh, I'm not worthy of this praise, but at the same time, perhaps I'm not as worthy of, of the uh, uh, critical nature of your uh, thought process in terms of the way I do what I do. I think you just have to be yourself. And, you know, whether it's um, him trying too hard to be his old self or, or Jim doing everything that he can to try to get the best out of Tony, there's only so much you can do at a certain point. You know, when I'm working with um, chemistry is something that you cannot really work on okay chemistry between a play-by-play announcer and an analyst is is not something that you can suddenly um, work on off the air it it, it happens organically it, it, chemistry is is something that is developed over time with reps um, I'd like to think that when people watch me with different analysts in basketball and I do work with several different analysts in basketball just because of the nature of the of the um of the sport because we're going in so many different directions with all these games televised. I might work with as many as five different guys in in basketball and yet I have Spencer Tillman uh for football. It's a more regimented sport. Uh we anticipate one another's next move. It's almost like an automatic. I think that's that's true for all the great teams uh in the booth for football is that uh, you you know which direction your guy's gonna go in even before he he goes there you know yes uh and i think tony just uh on on occasion will blurt things out when you least expect it which on one hand makes a lot of fans happy but on the other hand it surprises some shocks a few people and um the timing of what those statement of the statements and when they're being placed that's the issue it's not it's not the 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 energy or the the boisterous approach or the uh, energy of a young. Oh my God! Did you see that type of? I mean, people I think generally like that. Uh, fans at home are feeling the same way, but at the same time, they need to know that um, that you respect the guy that's working with you. I, I thought, for the most part, and I wrote this today, uh, just a to, uh, look back. I thought the Super Bowl was a, a, a tremendous success. I thought um, I thought the pregame went beautifully. I thought the Reba McIntyre. Uh, uh anthem was awesome i thought halftime with usher and they throw out a little john and ludicrous i'm down with that no problem <laughs> i thought it was pretty entertaining uh and i thought their game call uh was really solid for the most part it got a little busy late and that fourth quarter was had a lot of activity yes it did and uh and with that energy and the multiple telestrators with the things going in all these different directions almost trying to predict um you know, where Travis Kelsey was going to line up. Uh, You can get a little crazy with that from time to time, but, but um, until the end, which I I think was botched by Romo, I thought the two of them really had a very solid call. I I really did. And uh, Jim, to some extent, I think being roped in because, you know, he should by now he's, he's got to take on the responsibility of Tony Tony's development. I I think that's a cheap shot. I don't like that at all. Uh, I, I think that's, Broadcasters get better by by the broadcasters learning and uh, gravitating to what those that are close to them are are saying to them. You know, you you need to pay heed to those that have had the experience and said, and said to you over time. Maybe you need to do this, or maybe you need to do that. I think that was one of the great aspects of Greg Olson uh, working with Fox. Uh, he had two you know time guys and Richie Zions and and Rich Russo is producer and director. And and I think that uh, he wasn't the quote-unquote marquee quarterback that was being thrown into that number one position. As a result, he was very coachable, and I thought that he he quickly became uh, maybe the best out there. You know, he's certainly, I, I think, the world of Troy Aikman, too. I, th- I think he does a great he's job. Great. Yeah, I agree. But, but Greg Olson is, uh, even though he's being replaced uh, reportedly <laughs> by Tom Brady, I still think he's got a hell of a future. Uh, Stock up on that guy moving forward.
1: Yeah, we interviewed him in Vegas. Terrific and and a great broadcaster. We agree. Tim, I'm I'm a glutton for all things Super Bowl, not just the food. So I watched every bit of pregame coverage, including the hour-long documentary, You Were Looking Live, leading into the pregame coverage on Brent Musburger and the start of NFL Today with Phyllis George and, and Irv Cross and everyone involved with that show, Jimmy the Greek. Uh, fascinating watch, and there were a number of tributes for Brent Musburger, including by your buddy Jim Nance, who made yeah. a reference that he needs to be in Canton as a, for yeah. his special contribution to the NFL. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think about Jim Nance saying that during the broadcast, and just your recollections of of Brent well, Musburger, who's still at it to this day?
0: Well, one of the one of the things about um, Jim that we have I have in common with Jim is uh, uh, we're we're historians of sports television. You know, we grew up at about the same time. I'm a few years older than Jim, but not by much. He started at CBS the year I started at ESPN. Um, When we created College Game Day, I'll never forget Vino Cook, who had worked at CBS as a publicist and uh, was a roommate of the man that wrote You Are Looking Live, Rich Podolsky, who was the original writer for the NFL Today in 1975. And, uh, And Rich is helping me with my book by the way. Um, and, um, it's, it's going to be out hopefully by the end of next year. Awesome. But, um, I think that that, that story you are looking live, they could have gone another hour. I mean, the video that they had, I, I thought that CBS had had that in the archives, but NFL films helped them with the production end of it. And, and the NFL films back in the old days, when they had their, uh, their offices, they were taping every one of those shows at the NFL offices. And what what Jim was talking about is the Roselle Award, which has typically gone to play-by-play guys that have called the NFL. Brent has not, n- never did that. He did he did play-by-play in college football. But he hosted the, the absolute signature show for all pregame programming in the history of our, uh, our business with the NFL today. Fellas, I never thought about doing studio shows at all. Until as a college freshman, I watched the NFL today in 1975, and uh, the, it was just amazing to watch Brent play the role of traffic cop and 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 help these—they were novices. I mean, you got a, a Miss America and Phyllis George, and you got Irv Cross, who's coming right from the Eagles. Uh, landmark hires—one because uh, she was female, the the other because he was an African American. And and as as good as they were, he made he made them great. He made them network quality. That one cutaway shot of him of, of Irv looking at a shot sheet and Brent kind of looking over at him says, Don't worry about it. Don't even read that. Just say what you see when it comes up on the monitor. That was brilliant. That was br- I can't tell you how many times uh, working with someone new in a studio that had never been there that I said something exactly the same. Don't worry about the shot sheet. I'll take care of that. The who, when, and what. You just tell me what you're seeing and how that play was successful. Don't worry about, you know, the score, the time, who it is. (laughs) I'll take care of that. You know, it was brilliant. And um, uh, the the fact that they were able to put it, I think they could have done two hours. Think about it. If their their pregame show had been one hour less and they had given one hour more to You Are Looking Live, wouldn't you have loved it? Yeah. I think – I think it was the most compelling part of the day. I'm with you. It was a missed opportunity really did. to not
1: make that thing two hours. I, I yeah. completely agree. Well, well, Rich, Rich
0: Podolsky, and Ted Shaker uh, presented that to CBS, and uh, that, and they they were taken care of handsomely. But as is oftentimes the case, uh, the corporation itself wanted to produce it themselves and not have an outside entity produce it. Uh, but Shaker was the original producer of the show. Uh, George Varis, who produced the show from 1982 to 89, is a friend of mine, and he did um, an Emmy Award-winning, nominated uh, 30 for 30 on Jimmy the Greek, uh, you might recall. And George was uh, was equally impressed with the show. I talked to him a little earlier today. Um, Brent, Brent ruff, ruffled some feathers along the way, including Jimmy the Greek, as was documented. We could uh, we could debate whether all of what was said was absolutely accurate about the uh, about the well uh, documented battle they had at a watering hole that was not named Runyon's, by the way, but uh, a watering hole indeed. But but the truth of the matter is, Brent made that thing work, uh, and so other than maybe the advent of Monday Night Football, you know, Mother Love's traveling freak show that uh, they had with Dandy Don, Howard Cosell, and the Gipper, Frank Gifford, who replaced Keith Jackson after one year. Uh, The NFL today had as much impact on the way American sports television and the National Football League have worked, okay, as anything. And for that reason, just because Brent didn't call NFL games doesn't mean he's not worthy of the Roselle Award. So I absolutely agree that uh, it's time that Brent be recognized for that because uh, he was the first really five-tool talent In sports television. And by that, I mean a guy that could be in the studio, help everybody that's on that set with him, make it look like it's a big-time network show, and then he could call a game brilliantly. I mean, his work in college football, I think many people would tell you, a lot of historians would tell you, after Keith Jackson, the guy you think of most is Brent Musburger. Uh, And I think most fans would probably say the same thing. Uh, When I started college game day as a kid, you know, 29, 30, 31 years old, he was very warm and welcoming to me, you know, and uh, Bino nicknamed me baby Brent, which I took as a tremendous compliment. Yeah. So I was forever grateful to uh, for Brent for, you know, some of the tips that he gave me along the way when we had a chance to meet. So I don't think I'm alone. Dan Patrick had him on his show and Dan, I think is going to write the National Football League, and 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 I certainly am. And uh, I think the Hall of Fame, and that's what it's all about, uh, the National Football League Hall of Fame needs to uh, find a way to give him the recognition of having the, the Roselle Award given. You you can't actually be inducted in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster, but if you look at the list of people that have won the Roselle Award, uh, they're all deserving, but not any more deserving than Brett.
2: Really cool. Musburger, whenever he was calling the, the Oakland Raiders, uh, came into the Titans radio booth. That was going through the, the visiting yeah. lineup with me, just getting the little tidbits. And he, would, he yeah. would, and the way he wrote down things, it was it was awesome. He had his own language, really. It was just shorthand. And was able yeah. to re- reference it during the game. I, I'll, I'll, time for two more and maybe two minutes each here, Tim. Uh, I want to work on okay. two. Okay. First, the partnership okay. between the SEC and the Big Ten and what this means for leadership moving forward for where we're headed, and and the fact that Sankey's even saying, you know, we've got to do this because no one else will. Exactly.
0: I think Greg now knows that, you know, trying to get uh, Charlie Baker and the rest of the politicians and the people uh, on Capitol Hill to, to help them out, it's not happening. I mean, Washington's so screwed up, there's no way that's going to happen. And there is so much revenue at stake. You know, they're trying to negotiate a new television deal to start in 26 uh, for the college football playoff, the expanded version. Heck they're trying to find out if anyone's really interested in these quarter quarterfinal games that start next year. Right. That right, right now. uh, I I don't know who from a linear point of view in television that interested, maybe they'll do it on streaming. I don't know. Maybe ESPN does it for the same amount of money they're paying for just the semifinals and finals. I don't know, but, Uh, They've got a lot of moving parts going on right now. Uh, They have a committee made up of a lot of the other college football playoff commissioners uh, and people that are involved trying to determine all that. But the revenue and the expansion process being what it is, I think Sankey, because of his background and understanding the infrastructure of the NCAA, he was once a compliance officer for the Southland Conference before he became commissioner of the Southland Conference years ago and was on the infractions committee with the NCAA. That was his background. It was one of the reasons Mike Slive hired him as an associate years ago. Uh, So his background is in governance in that respect. Tony Petiti, my old boss for nine years as an executive producer under Sean McManus at CBS, he understands television inside out and what will sell and how much from an inventory standpoint uh, the, the college football playoff really should be worth at, at 12 teams. And by the way, as I mentioned to you before, I feel very comfortable telling you in that new TV deal, the big one, the one that could include more than just one entity carrying the college football playoff, they're going to go to 16 teams, fellas. They don't want teams one through four sitting on the sideline the first week. They want those teams to have home games against teams 16, 15, 14, and 13. That's I'm telling you, that's going to happen. So, uh To make that happen, they need somebody like Petiti that has grassroots understanding of how much the networks are willing to dole out. And and whether anyone in our business now is capable of coming up with all of the money that it takes, I really doubt that, given the economy that we're facing today. Uh, I think at least two entities will likely in the end be involved, because the money that they're talking about relative to how much each game is worth, including the quarterfinals, is a lot. It is a lot. And and right now, um, you know, television is still trying to claw its way back from a production standpoint from what happened with COVID. Uh, and there have been cutbacks in a lot of ways. I don't need to tell you what's gone gone on with Disney. right? Uh, and there's the, the debate there is who's going to buy it, you know, <laughs> who's going to buy Disney. So I, I think it's going to take regardless of, of of who they are. It could be any one of the networks. It could be more than two networks. But I I think it would be great for college football if it had multiple networks because uh, uh that blueprint for the NFL has worked beautifully and I think it would certainly be great for college football as well but they need to take control now okay collective bargaining is going to be a part of this fans just need to understand it okay and oh by the way regardless of what you may think about the players intent or the, NIL and the portal are not going away and the only way to finance it and to take care of it with the understanding the players are going to get a piece of the pie is by having a, a collective bargaining agreement done. And um, that it, once the games start, everybody will see how much more competitive it is, how many, much, think about the great games we've got coming up with these schedules that are out. But we're going to hear about, you know, the, much of the media complaining about uh, how college football's gone so wrong when in fact, in my view, the greatest days are ahead. I think we're about to launch Into the new golden era of college football on television.
2: Timmy B, how how pissed off are you at us that we didn't talk college hoops today?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll get there. You just just need to have me back before the Big East tournament. If it wasn't
1: the day after the Super Bowl, if it was even (laughs) Thursday, if it was tomorrow, we'd have one shining moment. We would have been asking you about college basketball, but the day after the Super Bowl has to be football only. So we'll we'll get you back on to talk college hoops.
0: And you had me on the spot too. It's never easy talking about your colleagues on hey, side uh, but it's I
1: ask you about that because no one is criticizing Jim Nance that I've seen. He's awesome. Yeah. I think all yeah. the criticism is all about <laughs> Romo's the end of that. So I, I haven't heard much at all about usually everyone says on Nance, well the guy's great. You know, he's good at everything yeah. he does and every sport he does. It's it's <laughs> yeah. way more On Romo. But no criticism of your uh, visits with us. No, we we love... Anytime, Tim. We really appreciate it. Not putting you on the spot. We like having the conversation with you. Hey, thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: Same here. You know I'll always answer, whether I like Uh, it or not. You know I'll always give you an answer. Can't wait
1: to have you back on, Tim. Thank you, Tim. You bet. Thank you, fellas. Providence Friars breakdown coming up next time. Timmy B. Timmy B joins us. Tim Brando. He's got all He knows all.
2: He knows all. One of the best. Coming up, Chad knows all when it comes to Super Bowl commercials. He's got them... Well, some of them rank the top, the, the best of the best. I'll
1: give you a, I'll give you a quick 10 pack of what jumped out to me. Yeah,
2: let's let's do that. Coming up, Hot Mic without and Withrow.